Good morning, Daylighters. We're thankful that you've checked in with us this morning and appreciate you being here. We're looking forward to being together live and in person, but we're just not sure when that's going to happen yet. And we're talking about it as a team and, and uh, we'll keep communicating well and let you know when those days have come upon us. But for now, if you wouldn't mind, even though we're meeting virtually, if you wouldn't mind checking in on your mobile devices, going to Facebook and hitting check-in. Every single month we have a different cause, and this month it's Hope for Haiti. Every 10 check-ins that you provide on your mobile device or on your computer will provide a day of school for 30 children in Haiti. And so if you wouldn't mind taking the moment just to check in, that would be fantastic. And while you're online, go to mydaylightchurch.com and check out our soundtrack for this quarter. We've got a bunch of music on there that we thought that you might like, and there's some podcasts and songs and some interesting stuff on there, and so uh, check it out and enjoy. Also on mydaylightchurch.com, you'll find our community groups that are meeting right now, and we're, we're going through a series on Philippians here at the church, and we're backing that up with a study of Philippians in, in small groups on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So the Wednesday night is a completely virtual group that meets on Zoom, and uh, the Thursday night is one that has a live option, or and it's a socially distanced live option or an online option with Right Now Media. And so go to mydaylightchurch.com for the details on that. There's a card you can click and find out all the info and all the links that you'll need. If you consider yourself a daylighter, then please consider continuing to support the church financially. If you don't, then please allow this portion of the service to pass you by. But there's two ways you can give. One, you can give at daylightchurch.com giving, or two, you can text the number 84321 with an amount. So if you want to give 20 bucks today, you just hit 20 and hit send to that number. And if it's your first time, it'll send you a link forever after. It's as easy as hitting send to that number. I'm going to jump right in this morning on the topic of how to kill it in life's gym. And, uh, you know, I've heard that I've heard the greatest compliment I've ever received was somebody told me, good job at life. And I think all of us at multiple times in our lives, wonder, what, what does that mean to do a good job at life? Like, what does it mean to do life well? And as we study the book of Philippians, I think Paul starts to ask that question. Last week, we talked about how he's, he's starting to say, live or die, I'm going to live for Jesus. And he's facing his own mortality and, and is faced with the question of, does his life matter? And, and he comes to some interesting conclusions. But last week, I, I was a little nervous about sharing it. I'm still nervous about putting it on the screen. But this is one of my brainstorming sessions that I do by myself at the beginning of each year. Uh, called My Life Brainstorming, and it's just talking about what do I want my life to look like, and, and I'll, I'll just kind of puddle of mud, vomit on the page, just, you know, just get stuff out there, and then kind of put it into categories and decide, well, if I want my life goal to be this, then this is how I should treat my kids today, and so forth, and one of the things you might notice on the list, I don't know if you can see it on your screens or not, but it's one, one of it, I, I just wrote down, I need to stay healthy, because the, the reality is, in order to accomplish what you need to accomplish in this world, health really matters. It, it matters that you're able to get out of bed of a morning. It matters that you're, you're mobile and healthy. And so health has been pretty important to me in my, in my spiritual journey because it requires a lot of discipline, and, and I think the spiritual life requires discipline, and so I think they, they make good bedmates. But I want to encourage you to be healthy, and we're going we're gonna to start off just talking about kind of a cultural phenomenon that hasn't always been reality. Uh, in, in history... Um, I had, I had a friend who was, was from an Asian country uh, back, back when I was just out of college, and she used to come and pat my fat little belly and say, ooh, prosperous. She used to pat me in the belly and tell me I was prosperous because my belly was getting big. And uh, historically, a six-pack of abs has not always had the sex appeal that it does today, but now it's become kind of a cultural phenomenon. If you, if, if, if you, wanna, if you wanna put a sexy person on top of a magazine or in front of a magazine, uh, odds are they're going to have a six-pack of abs. Their abs are going to show. And for whatever reason, abdominals 
have become like the icon of health or the icon of sex appeal. And, and I, I wanted to start just by asking the question of why that was. And I think, I think there's multiple reasons. And, and sex appeal has a lot of different uh, intrinsic meanings behind it and undergirding foundational truths underneath it as to why something is attractive to another person. And one is a six-pack speaks of discipline because all of us recognize that discipline is a valuable characteristic in a human being. And so when we see that, dis that characteristic in another human being, we find it attractive. And it's tied to work ethic. And, and odds are, if we, if we choose a, a life partner, we want that person to have a pretty good work ethic. We, we'd prefer them not to be uber lazy, uh, and, unless we're uber lazy and then it's two peas in a pod. But for the most part, most people would, would say it, discipline and work ethic are attractive. And abs tend to speak of longevity. If, if, you, if you're showing abs, there's, as, as we'll see here in just a second, it's kind of an overall fitness thing. And if you have overall fitness, you're probably going to last longer. And so, so it's kind of this instant view of longevity, that this person is going to live longer. It doesn't necessarily mean they will, but it's a, it's a symbol or, or an illustration of their overall health. And, and not only is it overall fitness, but it's also core fitness. It's, it's not just that my, my, my I'm, I'm doing right with food and doing right with exercise, but it also means that I'm, I'm physically, at my core, uh, strong. It also speaks of good nutrition. I've always heard that abs are made in the kitchen. If you, if you study fitness at all, you'll find out that, that you can't do what they call spot reduce. So, so, so they have these really funny devices in history um, called vibrating uh, wraps or vibrating chairs or something like that where, where people would take these big leather straps and rub it around, wrap it around their belly and hook it to a machine and it would shake their bodies and they'd, they'd get on them for hours and, and hopefully burn a lot of calories. And they, were, they thought that by, by shaking the abdominals that you could spot reduce and reduce your belly or if they put it on the thighs that it would reduce the thighs. And there's just absolutely... No such thing as spot reduction when it comes to the human body. You can't, you can't do a bunch of crunches and, get, get and show your abs. You have to make your abs in the kitchen. You have to reduce your low overall body fat to, to show the abs. And they say this kind of thing, especially having abs or, or being, being what they would call ripped or cut, is about 80% nutrition and about 20% exercise. So you can hit the gym all you want, but if you're eating junk, uh, your body is going gonna, is gonna to show it. And one of the things that we kind of recognize when we have this conversation, when we see a person with, and to have abs at 18 is not such a huge deal uh, because your metabolism is so cranked, but to have abs at 50 is, is kind of a big deal. And it shows that you've had some kind of control over food in your life. And, and we all recognize that control over food is, is legit power. Power over food is, is power indeed. It's, it, take, it takes a certain type of discipline and a certain type of desire and, and gumption to, to have, to, to eat food in such a way. And so I want to ask the question, and, and I promise this is all going to make sense as we talk about Philippians in just a moment because, well, it just will. Um, I want to ask the question of how do you achieve vascularity? So this is a pretty vascular dude, and by vascular it means veiny. So you can see the veins in his arms, and what that means is the subcutaneous fat has been diminished to the point where you can see the skin overlaying onto his veins. And for, for the skin to overlay on the veins to a point where they're visible, it means your body, the percentage of your body fat is quite, quite low. And so when you, when you talk about bodybuilding or weightlifting or, or fitness competitions, vascularity is, is one of the categories that's important. It, it, shows, it shows all these things. It shows discipline and exercise and power and control. And, and it, it takes a lot to, to become vascular. And most everyone agrees it takes a caloric deficit. You have to burn more calories than you consume. And that's, that's a pretty universal truth that you can't achieve vascularity or have a six-pack of abs without it. And, 
And nowadays, and this is where things start to tie into our study for the day, is they talk about intermittent, intermittent fasting quite a bit and achieving ketosis, and fasting helps achieve ketosis. But ketosis is this state that the body in, ends up in where the liver is starting to take um, fat molecules and converting them to, to fatty acids that are used for energy. So, so on a typical day for the typical human being, we consume, especially for Americans, we consume a lot of carbs. So we eat tortilla chips and Doritos or, or ice cream or a cheeseburger with a bun on it. And, and the body has to do with the insulin response of our body. A lot of times we, we consume those carbs as energy. So those carbs are converted to energy in which we use. And, but the state of ketosis occurs when you lower your carb intake considerably. Typically, this is how it occurs. Either you've fasted, so you have consumed no carbs for quite some time, or you've lowered your carb intake to the point where the body is starting to say, i got to find energy somewhere. The carbs just aren't there. The energy just isn't there. And so, so the body is starting to look for something to use, and it, it achieves ketosis when it says, oh, those fat cells will work. And the body grabs those fat cells and transports them to the liver, and the liver turns them into energy. And now, boom, you get to live your life. And while you do that, you become thinner and thinner and you become more vascular, your abs start to show. And in, in just a moment, this will make sense, but I want you to remember that word ketosis, that ketosis is kind of um, globally understood to be a really valuable mechanism for physical health at this point. It's not sustainable. You can't stay in ketosis your whole life. It gets uh, pretty taxing to do that, but it is important for your overall health. That it, it's, it, can be, it can be an important tool. Now, how does all that tie in? Eventually, it will tie in, promise, we're talking about physical health. Now I want to start talking about how to kill it in the gym of life. And, and in order to do that, in my opinion, you have to uh, achieve some kind of spiritual health. You have your, your spirit. You, I believe we are spirits that live in a body and that the spirit is the actuality. That's, that's who we are at our core as a spirit. And so how do, we, how do we get our spirit shredded? How do we get six packs in our spirit? Like what, what, what is the marker of a spirit? So if we, if we look at somebody physically and say they have a six pack, therefore there are all these health things that have obviously been achieved. What are the markers we can look at in a person's spirit to, to say the same thing has been accomplished in the spiritual realm? And in the book of Philippians, I believe, I believe Paul gives us our answer. And it's, it's kind of a definitive one. He, he basically just come, comes forward and said, this is it, folks. This, this is the thing. And we're going to get to it in just a moment. But Philippians is basically vignettes with a theme. And that theme is that your life story is a lived expression of Jesus' story. And that's a story of letting go. And that idea of letting go is where we're going to get into in just a moment as the marker. That's the thing. To, to look at your life and say, I'm spiritually healthy. To look at a person and say, they're spiritually healthy. That's the thing, is the letting go. So let's read the next passage in Philippians. It starts in chapter 1. It says, we're continuing in chapter 1. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent... I may hear of you that you are standing firm in the one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. He continues, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with, a God, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in f- human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that on earth, on the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we've been taking thoughts and kind of having a takeaway. And I, I want to introduce a couple thoughts that are going to tie into the takeaway this, this week. And so um, we're not going to go thought, takeaway, thought, takeaway. We're just going to say thoughts and go with one major conclusion. What does it take to have a six-pack spiritually? First thought is that your life, is story, your life story is meant to be a story of good news. We go to the, so we're just going to read through Philippians and, and talk about each passage. And it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I want you to notice something important here. It doesn't say let the circumstances of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does it say? It says the manner of life, how you live your life, not what you do, not what you accomplished, but how you lived your life. What manner of person have you become? That's an important thought in this, in this conversation. And then secondly, it says that this good news that we're supposed to exemplify should be kind of the unifying and life-shaping anchor for which we will endure anything. He talks in this passage about being persecuted. He says, your life that's illustrating this good news is why you're persecuted. And he says, he says this, that you'll, you'll see a theme here. This is, this is what he follows with in this passage. He says, standing firm in one spirit. He's saying this to the believers in Philippi. You have one spirit among you, with one mind among you, striving side by side, which also should be illustri- highlighted there, for the faith of the gospel, the good news. Complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. So you see one spirit, one mind, side by side, same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. I think there's a theme here, and it ties into something else Paul said in Romans chapter 12 when he says, in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And, stuff. and so the, the idea is that your life, the manner of your life is supposed to show what Jesus is like and what's good, and that's supposed to occur in community, and it's community where everybody is of one mind. And we, we talk about in, in, in our church, being a reach across the aisle church, that we want uni- unity, not uniformity. We want, we want one mind on the thing, the stuff that the one mind is supposed to be on, and then we have a lot of liberty for all the other stuff. But we're supposed to be one body. So what is it that we're supposed to be persecuted for? What is it that we're supposed to be united in? If we're supposed to have one mind, what is that central thought? What is the six-pack abs spiritually that we're supposed to have nailed down in order to kill it in the gym of life? What is the standard? What's the six-pack standard when it comes to spirituality? So in this passage, Paul could have said a ton of stuff. And I'm going to share real briefly, and I know I'm going to make some people mad, and that's okay. In some, in some situations, that's kind of a preacher's job, is to make people mad. But Paul, in this passage, does not say this. He doesn't say, let each of you consider your political affiliations with great care and wisdom, for in the coming age, the bureaucrats shall sit upon thrones of gold. He says nothing of the sort. He doesn't say, don't be a fool. Babies need baptized like the rest of us. Dunk them and hold fast to your conviction. You'll see what I'm getting at here. The, the, the stuff that we end up in turmoil over, that we don't have one mind over, that we don't connect on, thankfully is not the stuff that he's highlighting here. It's not, it's not the stuff. It's not the thing that he's focusing on. 
He also doesn't say the pagans deserve what's coming, turn or burn, which is the message of many. He doesn't say Christ in his sovereignty chooses you, not the other way around. People get so caught up on who chose who. He doesn't say get right or get left. He doesn't focus on the earth being 7 billion years old and say science dummies. He also doesn't say the earth is 6,000 years old. This is, this is, I'm not saying these things aren't important. I'm not saying they're not worthy of dialogue because they absolutely are. What I am saying is when Paul says, let's talk about the main thing, the thing that we should have one mind about, he doesn't talk about these things. Understanding prosperity versus poverty, democracy versus socialism, gay marriage, evolution, the atonement, and proper exegesis of these topics, these are the things that matter. Unify, y'all. He doesn't say that at all. He doesn't say... When he's talking about the six-pack abs spiritually, when he's talking about, when he's calling us to unity, these are not the things he mentions. He doesn't say the servant of God should try and be right about everything and the lost of the world ought to know about it. This is the gospel. It's not, it's not gospel to hold on to factual truth and parade that in front of the world. That's, that's not what he hits on either. So here's my question is, are you ready? If we're, if we're going to talk about the takeaway, he, he hits it hard here. He starts by saying, your life should illustrate Christ. You should be willing to be persecuted for this gospel, for this good news. You should be in one mind, one body, side by side, in one accord. You should all think the same about this topic, this thing that he's about to introduce. And here it comes. Are you ready? He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The whole thing is highlighted because the whole thing is important. This is... This is my past, in my pastoral opinion, and, and after studying the Bible for many, many years, I think, I think this passage by Paul is the stuff. I think if you're going to open the Bible to something and say, what, what is this whole book about? Philippians 2, kenosis, which we'll talk about in just a second. That's the stuff, man. That's the stuff. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's the golden rule. Love others. Love yourself. Love others. He says, have this mind among yourselves. So notice he says, be of one mind, be of one mind, be of one mind, be of one mind. And then he says, have this mind. If you're going to be unified around something, this is the thing, he says. It's yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He says, if you're going to have one mind, have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ was, even though he was God, he laid himself down. He laid himself down for the world. He laid himself down for people. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. A God who could have stood on his throne and enjoyed the pleasures of his deity, instead descended, became man, born in trauma, lived in trauma, betrayed by friends, tortured, crucified, and died. And this is what Paul says is a spiritual six-pack. He says, this, this is what it all centers around. Have the same mind. Have the same mind. Have the same mind. Have this mind, the mind of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It wasn't, it wasn't a power grab. It wasn't, how can I live for me? How can I elevate myself? How can I do what I want to do? He said it was, some, it was a letting go of all that. It's the theme of Philippians. It's that your life is supposed to emulate Christ's life, and that's a life of letting go. In Romans 8, it says, God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son so that we would be the firstborn among many. So Christ was the first one to live out this principle of letting go. 
and we are supposed to be followers of him, the firstborn of many. Who are the many? The ones who do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than themselves. You notice it says, let each of you look out after your own interests, which we'll get into in just a moment, but also the interest of others. So we talked about ketosis being the, the key to one of the important tools in your toolbox to becoming healthy, uh, to becoming slim and trim. And it's interesting that in the Greek, the word that we're looking for here is, is kenosis. Echinosin is, is the Greek, is the derivative in this particular passage. But it says, even though Christ was God, he didn't consider equality with, equality with God something to hold on to, to, to be grasped. He said he, his godhood was worth letting go for something else, for others. And that's echinosin. It's kenosis. It's a, it's a letting go. So we've got ketosis for physical rippedness. And rippedness is a word I made up, and I'm sticking with it. Rippedness, if you want to get ripped, you, you do ketosis. Ketosis is one of the many tools that you can use. But kenosis is the tool for spiritual rippedness. If you want to say, I killed it in the gym of life, kenosis, 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 letting go. It's the, it's the state of kinoo in the Greek, which means emptied, without recognition, having no value, made into nothing. These are words that we don't want to use to describe our lives. It's, it's the exact opposite of how we try to describe our lives. It's the exact opposite of how we try to be. We don't want to be emptied. We want to be full. We don't want to be without recognition. We want to be recognized. We want to be adored. We, we don't want to be valueless. We want to have value. And we certainly don't want to be made into nothing. We want to, we want to be something. And that's the opposite of the six-pack spiritually that, that Paul describes in this passage. That, that kind of striving and desire leads to nothing is kind of what the scriptures describe. In Galatians, Paul wrote this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. So it says, I don't live anymore, Christ lives. And you'll see at the, at the, the end of this passage, it says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and, and he did kenosis first. He lived a kenotic life first. It says, he gave himself for me. The God who could have grasped power let go of that power for me. He set the example. And so now I live my life under his example, under the shadow of his life. I give myself to him. And you see it all throughout his life, Jesus' life. Jesus, before the crucifixion, prayed this to the Father. He said, not as I will, but as you will. He told the crowds, I have come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And you can take kenotic uh, theology a little too far to, to get away from Trinitarian theology, and that's been kind of a mess as far as some screams of hypocrisy, or not hypocrisy, heresy over the ages. But somewhere in the middle of this Trinitarian theology is, is the truth and this mystery that Christ let go of his godhood and, figure, and, and, and started life as a baby, as an infant born in a manger and walk the same kind of roads that we walk in the same kind of sandals with the same kind of blisters that, that we have to deal with. And he was the example, and we follow his example. And so I just want to quickly run through several kind of puddle of mud that you'll rip, have on what it means to achieve kenosis. Like, like what does it mean to be, to be spiritual ripped? What does it mean to be cut spiritually, to, to, uh, to have health at your core when it comes to spirituality? And in order to achieve kenosis, it's waving your hands like you just don't care. It's the, it's the old concert scream that 
every concert person, every, every leader of a concert says, every performer says is raise your hands up in the air. And I've been to Motley Crue concerts and Poison concerts and Carmen concerts, and I've been in church services, and they all do the same thing is when the person tells them to raise their hands up. And, and there's, there's something about that that is surrender, and it happens in crowds a lot of times, is, is I, I give myself to this moment, or I give myself to this music. And somehow, kenosis starts right there. Not, not in the literal raising of your hands, although that's an important part of the, it, it's, it's a tool in your belt, sort of like ketosis is for health. But it's important that you come to a place of surrender. In, in John chapter 3, he says, I must in, he must increase, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. It's a giving over of yourself. And, and historically, and, and, and I think even just in common sense, that, that raising of your hands, putting your hands up like you just don't care means I don't care about me anymore. I'm, I'm not what matters. I'm, I'm letting go of myself. I'm, I'm becoming empty to be filled with something else. And it's also important that we recognize that you can never lift enough weight to be spiritually healthy. You will, you will never strive and work hard enough and study your Bible enough and memorize enough scripture and pray hard enough and worship passionately enough to empty yourself. In fact, it can have just the opposite uh, effect on you because spiritual gluttony is just as bad. As consum- a consumption mentality about your spirituality is just as unhealthy as a consumption mentality about your, your physical physique. You can eat all the fries you want all day long and it'll, it'll, it'll hurt your body. And Boy, you can, you can do the same thing with Bible study and, and worship services and worship songs and and, and, and even acts of service. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says you, you can give away all that you have to the poor, but you don't have love. You are nothing. You can know all mysteries of all knowledge. You can understand everything, but if you don't have love, you're, it, it amounts to, to absolute zilch. I read this week that kenosis isn't just a Christological issue, meaning it's just about Jesus, but it's also a pneumatological issue. It's about pneumatology. Pneumatology is, of course, the study of the Holy Spirit or, or the work of the Holy Spirit. And this, this idea of emptying yourself is about what the Holy Spirit is doing, which is good news. We, we read earlier that you can have this mind among yourselves. This is, this is the mind that Paul says to have. This is, you should be united in the mind, united in mind, united in mind. Here's the mind. And he says it, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit does this work in you. You can never work hard enough to achieve this. It has to be a letting go where he does it in you. I also want to encourage you to kiss yourself. I don't remember. I think it was Eddie Murphy that used to do James Brown. He said, I just got to kiss myself. Is that, am, I, am I right here? I got one audience member who would know, and he's nodding his head. Yes. You got to kiss yourself. The golden rule starts with loving yourself. The golden rule says, do unto others as you would do unto them. Love others as you love yourself. And in the same passage, in this canonic passage of Philippians, it says, let, let you not... Look out after only your own interests, but also the interests of others. And it can, be a very, it can be a very chaotic thing to actually take care of yourself because some people despise themselves so much that they don't take care of themselves. And so somehow loving yourself, kissing yourself, and allowing you to be as healthy as possible is, is, is all a part of this whole big package of, of letting go of everything, including self-apathy or antipathy, uh, letting, letting go of despising yourself or letting go of wishing you didn't exist. Letting go of any negative view of yourself can also be a part of this letting go. And so I want to encourage you to kiss yourself. When we talk about kenosis, we're talking about letting go of self. And that that might be fasting. It might be giving away something valuable to you to help another one. It might be taking your valuable time to call a friend. 
Uh, it could be attending church services when you'd rather sleep in on a snowy day. There's all kinds of ways that um, kenosis can, can show up in your life. But ultimately, even loving yourself requires kenosis because kenosis is the path to human thriving, in my opinion. But a couple more thoughts, and then I'm done. Number one is no pain what? What is it, Paul? No pain, no gain. This is, it's as true in your spiritual life as it is in your physical life. Physical life is 80% nutrition, 20% exercise in your spiritual life, and that requires work. Nutrition pro- properly done is not easy. It's challenging. It takes dedication. It takes discipline. Exercise properly done is not easy. It's challenging. It takes discipline. It takes education. And it's the same in your spiritual life. Uh, there's, there's theologies out there that, that are all, always consistently best life now type theologies where, where how good you're doing in life or how prospered you are is kind of the, the marker of, of whether you're doing well. And, and I, I don't think that ties, ties in at all with, with what this passage is saying. But then there's also passages out there that say how impoverished you are. That they, they say how if you're doing lousy at life or if you're, if you're beat up and downtrodden, then there must be something spiritual about you. And I would encourage you to avoid both those paths, because, because the reality is this passage says pain is part of the process, a letting go, a getting past yourself, sacrificing your own desires. Going to a cross was not pleasant, and that's, that's the figurative life that Christians are called to. So we are called in some sense to a life of pain with the understanding that pain is not the end, that when we talk, whether we talk about riches or, or grasping our time or grasping our renown, all these things that we want, if we're willing to let go of those things, what the gospel teaches is that, that Jesus was dead and then alive, and so it's a process of death and resurrection. It's a, par- it's a process of something good coming out of the sacrifice of something desired. We read it again. Jesus, being found in human form, humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I left the number nine in there, but that's absolutely irrelevant to the sermon. Therefore, so he dies, he's crucified, and it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the one who was kenotic, the one who embraced kenosis, was the first to, to, to practice the keno diet was also the one exalted to the highest place. And so the gospel is a gospel of death and resurrection. So, so it's not just a, a letting go and drudgery. You must live poor. You must live impoverished. You must, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're beat up and downtrodden and persecuted and bruised and battered, then, then obviously you're very spiritual. It's not, it's not that at all. It's saying those things may be a part of your journey, but everything you would ever give up is, is, is worth what comes after. And I don't mean heaven. I mean what happens in you, the spiritual six-pack that it can occur when you're willing to lay your life down. And it's interesting that Christianity is the only religion, major religion, at least, that I'm aware of that, knows, that, that teaches this. A lot of religions will teach you if, you if you work really hard and you grasp spiritual power or you work so hard to have your spiritual six-pack, you're going to have your spiritual six-pack. And this passage contradicts that. And then Buddhism would say you let go to let go to let go to let go to achieve nirvana, which is like the ultimate letting go, but there's no refilling. This is, this is where the gospel is interesting and different, is that it's letting go to be filled. 
So I want to encourage you with one parting thought is to take two of these and call me in the morning, but please actually don't call me. And if you're ever needing to call me, text me instead. Okay, this is the year 2021, so just stop it. Sorry. <laughs> but take two of these in the morning. And what I mean is, I want to encourage you for the coming days to think of two ways each day that you can let go of something you really want. It could be time in front of the television. It could be a food that you desire. Uh, it, could, it could be monetary in some sense. It could have, be work-related. Um, but two, in two categories, because we're called to love God and love others, and I want you to take time to take two pills every day, and, and these can be brief moments. One pill to stop and surrender. One pill to stop and let go of your day let go of your plans, let go of your desires, let go of your dreams and say, not my will, but yours be done. I must decrease, he must increase. Just take that pill once a day of, of a letting go. And then two, do, do the same when it comes to your fellow human beings and the people that God has put in your circle of influence. Is You may not feel like giving a call. You may not feel like showing up when somebody needs help carrying something heavy out of their house. You may not feel like showing up when somebody's teaching a Bible study. There, there, there may be all kinds of stuff, ways that you would rather live your life and be left alone. And I'm an introvert. I, I get it, for sure. But in Matthew, Jesus says these words. He says, whoever would, lose his li- would save his life will lose it. But wh- whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And if you want to say you've killed it at the gym, if you want to say, if you want, if you want God to one day, you know, the passage in Scripture is, well done, thou good and faithful servant, is what Jesus says to the, to the good servant when he, when he comes home. If you want to stand before God one day and him say, good job at life, you killed it in the, in the life of the gym. There's a long list of stuff you could focus on that will not fulfill that mandate. There's one item on the list that achieves this mind that Paul's talking about, and that's a letting go. It's saying, my life is not mine, my money is not mine, my time's not mine, my energy is not mine, my resources are not mine. It all belongs to God, and I live for, for not my will, but thine be done. Let's pray. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would lead us to be people who follow the cross. And I know that that's a terrible prayer to pray, that, that nobody really wants to go the way of the cross, but you have assured us and taught us that that is the right path in life, that that kenosis is the way to spiritual strength. And I pray each day that we would take time to give ourselves to you and time to give ourselves to our fellow mankind, our fellow human beings. Just pray we do it and do it well and that you would do it in us. It's it's a Holy Spirit thing, and Holy Spirit, I invite you to do it in my life and, and pray the same for my church and anybody listening, that they would do the same. They would Invite the Holy Spirit to have his way in their lives. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate you being here and hope to see you next week. Love you. Have a great week.